Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of What's Next with V. Uh, this is this episode is part of the SaaS series. We have a special guest today. We have Ayush Ghosh Chaudhary. He's the founder of Scrat Automation, a very interesting tool in the GRC space. Obviously, we'll get to know more about it in this podcast. Ayush, welcome to What's Next with V. Thanks, Ranjan. Good to be Great. here. Great, are you? Same. Likewise, I'm Vishal, uh, the V in What's Next with V, your host as always. Uh, are you jumping right in? Uh, I'm sure the listeners would want to know your story. I think you're the quintessential IIT and obviously from a premium V school, uh, then did the corporate grind, worked at uh, McKinsey, worked at a startup and then started off. So I think it's a pretty interesting story. Listeners out there would also kind of relate to what you have gone through. It would be great to know your story uh, till you became founder at Scrat. Sure, Vishal. So, uh, I mean, the idea behind Scrat Automation essentially comes from a pain point that uh, the current founders face. But none of us, except for Kush, and we'll talk more about the backgrounds of the founders, but Kush is the only hardcore infosec person who's been in the space for the last 15 odd years. But essentially, I've been a supply chain guy for the longest time. I used to work with BPCL right after my undergrad. Uh, went to ISP after which I joined McKinsey and worked with McKinsey for about three and a half years. Most of which was essentially working on operations and supply chain topics, uh, cross manufacturing, pharma, chemicals kind of companies. And then after McKinsey, I, I joined a very early stage company called Pando, uh, which was again in the freight management space. And when I left Pando first and I started out on my own, so Jayesh and I, two of the co-founders, we were working on a uh, we were working on an enterprise SaaS platform that helped manufacturing companies, very large manufacturing companies manage the inbound uh, material procurement. So pretty much most of my uh, professional life prior to SCART was about supply chain and procurement and operations and logistics, right? So, but the idea behind SCART essentially came when, when Jayesh and I were working on our previous uh, idea, which was the enterprise SaaS platform for procurement. And uh, in a span of about eight to nine months that we were working on that idea, uh, we had to, so we did a bunch of enterprise pilots with some very large pharma companies, very large manufacturing companies. And while we're not continuing to work on that idea anymore, in that journey of eight to nine months, because we were working with a lot of large enterprises, because we were working, we were privy to their sensitive data. We were actually asked to communicate a very strong information security posture, which means we had to, we had to, even as a company that had less than five employees at that point of time, we had to, and the founders included we had to manage uh, compliance towards ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, 27017, CSA star. And that really put a lot of pressure on us. That guzzled up a lot of our bandwidth. Uh, we were pretty clueless on how to handle that. But it seemed like a necessity. And that's when we met Kush, who's a third founder, who's the InfoSec expert. He, he's been a consultant in the space for very long. He was helping us manage our compliance towards those five standards. And somewhere along the journey, we realized that, well, this is an idea that we didn't want to continue working on for long. But... Uh, in the course of doing that, we realized that this is probably a problem across the board. A lot of SaaS companies, fintech companies are facing similar problems. And that's when we went out in the market, spoke to some 200 plus companies out there, validated the problem and launched the MVP sometime around November of 2021. So, so that's essentially been the journey. Something that, uh, so we were pretty much outsiders to the InfoSec space uh, before, before Coach joined us and we started working on this, but it came from a very deep pain point that we faced. It's becoming an impediment for business. So yeah, that's how we came across this. Quite interesting, Ayush. I think you figured out the problem statement while you were doing a startup. So that is pretty interesting. Um, you mentioned SaaS quite a few times in your story. So um, segueing to my next question, um, obviously we are all been reading that India uh, is a hub for SaaS. 
this is talent this market and uh, there's enough appetite globally to consume saas so just wanted to understand your thoughts on india being the next saas hub and people are saying it's going to be a trillion dollar economy by itself in india so would be great to hear your thoughts there so i think the advantage that saas founders in india in india have is that uh, the nature of the problem itself is is pretty global it's pretty ubiquitous it's true for us true, true for our peers uh because you're solving a problem through a product and while there is a strong customer success component involved as well but india is i mean uh, indian customer success folks are pretty conversant in english right now given that context i think what really helps a lot of saas founders in india is the uh, i think that's that's a strength that's hard to replicate that's hard to teach but culturally we've grown in an environment that makes us that makes us very cutthroat and makes us very shameless to begin with and that shamelessness is something that makes us very audacious in the way we thinking about our product and our launches right i have spoken to a bunch of peers we did that too in some sense where where companies get launched even before the product is made we are very happy to happy to be wrong we are very happy to go into the market with a product which has limited functionalities but is solving the core problem right and what that allows us to do is to uh think about the product in a very lean constrained manner where we're actually getting to the root of the problem and figuring out what really matters to the customers the the one or two things that the customer is really willing to pay for and i think that audacity is something uh, uh that 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 has helped a lot of uh, and we've been speaking to a lot of founders there have been times when we felt lost we felt intimidated by existing competition from from our uh, i mean uh, us players who who been uh adequately funded as well but but i think that audacity that that comfort with working under constraints that comfort with not really waiting for 100% of the answer to be available before actually taking the punt and going out there and selling right those instincts i think is something that that i've seen i've seen across saas founders in india uh across the board and that is what i think helps uh, a lot of indian saas founders do well and so we are just super duper optimistic about you know a lot of indian saas founders making it big over the next uh, decade or so yeah i'm with you on that ayush i've been also speaking to a bunch of saas founders and i keep getting this um, this vibes across i think you mentioned very interesting uh, interesting insights there that indian founders have that audacity have that uh, innovative mindset i would say right going to the core building a maybe it could be a scrappy product initially show it to your customers get feedback ready for taking those critical uh, critical feedback from customers going back to the drawing board and again building it out and showing it going back so i think now you're seeing a lot of these founders doing that at scale in india so i am also with you ayush i mean i've been speaking and we see that trend happening i hope at some day uh, we become a trillion dollar economy by itself sitting uh, down we, in india also in, i mean if you look at the external environment i think uh you I mean, know our parents our seniors our peers are a lot more comfortable with the idea of us trying something big and failing oh. than probably they were a decade ago i mean failure right. is very normal now it's it's taken in the right spirit uh given the fact that there is uh i mean a lot of startups have come up in the last decade there's money right. in the ecosystem so the there are strong plan b's if people fail so people are not afraid of taking the punt uh oh. and i think these have been good enablers in the ecosystem true i and i think as i think one thing that you mentioned one is from the ecosystem point of view your parents your ecosystem is supporting you they don't yes. have any inhibitions in folks leaving like a large corporate and going into a startup and kind of spending 2 3 years to figure it out another interesting trend is 
there are founders right there in college, in bachelors, in the second, third year building products. And obviously you have a lot of enablers, the government, education institutions, helping you build those products right in college, right? You're seeing so many founders starting it out and by the by the time they graduate, they're already being funded. So good foundation for India to kind of be the big player in the SaaS space. Uh, I just want to now go into the next bit. Um, obviously you touched upon Scrat. You found this big pain point in your previous startup, which was again SaaS. So would be great to understand more about Scrat. I did go through your website, but it was a little bit complicated. So if you can break it down for the listeners would be great. Uh, what is Scrat first and some use cases that you're really solving for SaaS, other SaaS companies and mid-size, mid-size companies. That would be great to hear. Sure. So at the at the outset, Scrat is, is, is essentially a platform that helps uh, SaaS, fintech, and healthcare com- healthcare companies, essentially cloud native companies, to to manage their information security posture and their compliance better. Right? And when I say better, it means faster and with uh, significantly lower manual effort involved. Now, what that means is that the the genesis of the problem is that uh, most of the SaaS companies, healthcare companies, fintech companies today are actually aiming big. They're being very audacious in terms of the logos they target. Many of them are significantly punching above their weight and targeting very big customers. And uh, the, I mean, large enterprises have also been very open uh, in the past several years in working with uh, with younger SaaS companies, with challenger SaaS companies, with younger alternatives to legacy uh, systems out there. Sure. But what that has also meant is that these large enterprises expect uh, uh, the younger SaaS companies to walk half the dis- half the distance and communicate a very strong information security posture, right? And the way this is manifested because they would be trusting them with their critical data. And the way this is manifested essentially is that. Uh, younger companies now have to comply with uh, standards and laws, the likes of an ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, CCPA, HIPAA, uh, and now there's PDPA for Singapore as well. So practically every country has their own privacy laws now. And managing that can sometimes become a big overhead because there are a bunch of policies involved, a bunch of evidence tasks involved, there are internal and external audits involved, there are external resources involved like, like pen testers and auditors, and then there is a continuous observability around monitoring a cloud infra. And as companies graduate from being smaller companies to slightly more mid-market companies, their their uh, their their cloud assets become uh, many in number. It becomes more complicated to monitor what those assets are, how are they configured, and what are the relationships relationships between them, and consequently, what are the risks that they are essentially exposed to within the environment. So this is the part that Scrut essentially automates, and it reduces about 60-70% of the effort involved in uh, a getting compliant with these standards quickly. Uh, and be continuously monitoring your your posture towards these, right? uh, so that you don't have to manually carry out internal audits every time. The platform will do it on your behalf, and you will need to only worry about the ten or twelve things that are exposing you to certain form of risk, and you need to fix those. Right? So that essentially becomes an, becomes a massive enabler in the sales process because for these companies that are selling to enterprises or selling in certain geographies, you can build trust right from day one of the sales process. You don't have to wait. Uh, for for your customers to carry out an internal audit, send a long information security questionnaire, you can actually start building trust from day one of the sales process without actually having to put a lot of manual effort behind this. So that's the idea of uh, uh, Scrum. Understood, Ash. I think pretty interesting uh, tool uh, that you mentioned automation, obviously automation at scale. And this typically helps startups who are looking at large enterprises globally to be, as you said, compliant on day one. I just wanted to check with you on in terms of time with Scrut, without Scrut, yeah. how much time would enterprises or 
startups or mid-sized companies save? Have you done that analysis? So uh, there are there are three parts to this. There are three parts to managing an information security posture and your uh, compliance towards specific standards. The first part is essentially identifying what is wrong. When you're doing it for the first time, identifying what is wrong in an environment, what risks are you exposed to? Right? That's essentially the gap assessment and risk assessment uh, part of it. The second part is actually remediating them for the first time. And the third part is monitoring that on an ongoing basis. So the first and the third part is essentially where Scrut would, would save about 70-80% of the manual effort involved. Wow. Uh, the middle part where, there act, where there's actual remediation involved, which is something that customers have to still you know, go through that journey, fix a bunch of stuff, cha make changes to the code if necessary, do a bunch oh, of yeah. configurations. Right? But the first and third part is typically what uh, is, is, is done in a very manual fashion. So that's a traditional way of doing it. And you, it's it's hard for you to manage a continuous uh, information security posture. So this is where Scrut would essentially reduce about seventy to seventy to eighty percent of your time. So what, what? So for example, when you're getting compliant for the first time, you could potentially take several months, three to four months, to manage all of that, carry out a detailed, comprehensive gap assessment slash risk assessment, and then begin the compliance activity. That three to four months can be shrunk to two weeks if you're doing it in an automated manner. So that's the order of uh, a difference that. Uh, having GRC automation can create for you. Got it. Hey, I good to see such tools coming in the market because you typically don't find too many GRC tools out there, right? Helping you save time, cost, resources, because most of the times I'm sure companies would hire external consultants to do this. I think you yeah. save quite a bit in terms of time, resources, money as well. So I mean, segue into the, my next question. Uh, I'm sure obviously this compliance, data security, and obviously the cloud infra, as you said, to uh, monitor that on a continuous basis. I'm sure this will keep continuing. This problem will still exist going into the future. What do you think is, I mean, coming to my theme of my podcast, what's next in this space in terms of how the problem would evolve? How will your solution evolve? If you can maybe share some thoughts on this, would be great. As you also mentioned, each country have their yeah. own their own compliance to take care of. Do you yeah. think at some point in time, there'll be a single compliance globally? Would each maybe country have a individual one? Just what, just wanted to get your thoughts, basically crystal balling into the future. So it would be good to hear so, your thoughts. Yeah. I think what, what has happened in this space is that over the last several years, companies as well as governments, local bodies have gotten very conscious about information security compliance because the, the attackers have become smarter, the frequency of breaches and the and the intensity of the breaches has, has increased a lot. So now two things have happened here. One thing is that uh, the standards that you hear of now, they probably, you have 5x the number of standards. Every company has its own privacy laws, as you pointed out. So I don't see consolidation or unification happening in this, in, in this space. Every country is probably going to have their own privacy laws the standards are probably going to get more comprehensive. They'll, they'll get updated every, uh, every now and then they'll, they'll live up to the times. Uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, the standards in terms of the number of standards you need to manage, that's not going to reduce. Uh, it's probably going to increase. Right. And what that has created is a bit of a, uh, so we see a lot of our users getting overwhelmed with the number of standards that they need to comply True. with. There's a lot of acronym fatigue out there. Yeah. And what has also happened is that in the security space, a lot of solutions have come up. If you look at the Gartner Magic Portal, right? So there, there's and the hype cycles. So there are so many acronyms out there, so many different point solutions. 
uh, and I I don't want to like start naming them down here, but but it's also easy to get for a for a for a CTO of a SaaS company. It's it's very easy now to get overwhelmed by the uh, by the kind of tools that are out there, and there's a lot of tool fatigue and acronym fatigue there as well, right? So what is it that's most applicable to you? And we see several situations where company have they've used a separate cloud protection tool, a separate accept app set tool, a separate privacy ops tool, a separate GRC or, or I mean GRC tool. And these are enterprise grade tools and that they're, they're using as point solutions and probably just using 20-25% of their capabilities because they just don't know what makes most amount of sense for them. There's so much of tool fatigue out there. So I think these two are the trends that uh, we we find most interesting and this is what we are very consciously trying to counter. Right? What that means is that because you could have a gazillion standards out there, but the essential information security controls pretty much remain the same. The basics remain the same. The standards vary from each other very incrementally. The core remains the same, right? So right. the approach that we've taken is to have a risk-first approach where we say that, look, given your environment, given your infra, these are the risks that you are exposed to. And that is something that the platform fetches automatically through its, through a bunch of its integrations. And once those risks are identified, we help you establish controls that mitigate those risks, right? And that approach helps you because then your environment is, you're actually securing environment. You're not maintaining a separate checklist for your risk and a separate checklist for your controls. And once you establish those controls, some of those controls will inevitably make you compliant with multiple standards. And if there's a, a, a control, for example, an access control policy, that'll get mapped to an ISO 27001, that'll get mapped to a SOC 2, that'll get mapped to an NIST 800. So you wouldn't have to duplicate that effort. So we're taking a risk first approach then we're making your controls talk to your risks so that once we do the mapping in the back end, you don't have to worry too much about, even if you have to comply with six or seven different standards, you only have to worry about those 10 or 12 controls or 50 controls that are most essential for you. The mapping will happen, right? At the time of the audit, just open the relevant standard and it's fine. So don't get overwhelmed by the different acronyms out there. So that's that's what we sort of try to evangelize very, very aggressively. That's what we try to keep telling our customers. That's the kind of panic that we want to remove very consciously, right? Uh, through the content we put out there, through our multiple conversations, through our participations in various uh, forums. Uh, then the second part around tool fatigue, the kind of customers that we are looking for, uh, I mean, the, that's that we are most bullish about are essentially customers that have an environment that's reasonably complex, that need information security beyond just a compliance checklist. Uh, but they're also not very large enterprises and therefore they don't have the luxury of managing a very large infosec team, right? And this is a segment that has been traditionally a little underpenetrated, a little underserved because large enterprises have the right amount of, even if they don't have the tools, they have enough people to manage for second companies, right? Correct. But this middle market group, which is, and you see a lot of CISOs coming up in this mid market segment. So that's a segment where we are very consciously trying to reduce the tool fatigue that I spoke about. So don't have to manage 20 different point solutions. Let's have just one solution, Scrut or otherwise, which essentially helps you, uh, you know, get a single window observability of where your risks are and forget about the different acronyms, forget about the various tools, just worry about those risks because that is what is going to create problems in an environment, right? And define controls that talk to those risks. So that's the, that's the other fatigue, uh, or the other friction that we're essentially trying to remove because we believe that, uh, mid market, uh, SAS, FinTech and HealthTech CISO shouldn't spend a lot of time worrying about different acronyms, worrying about different uh, tool categories, but they should only be focused on the risks that they're exposed to and the controls that mitigate those risks. So these are two uh, developments that, that have happened over the last few years. And I think uh, if if we are uh, at least one of the people that, you know, that help remove that friction, remove uh, that fatigue, prevent our target group CISOs and CTOs from being overwhelmed 
I think we'd we'd consider ourselves uh, successful there. Hey, thanks, Ayush. I think it, I think laid down very in a nice way because I also am learning this space. So thanks for breaking it down for our listeners. So uh, listeners out there, founders, CISO, CTOs, if you want to kind of look at an interesting GRC tool to remove the jargons, make it super simple, you know whom to reach. Uh, Ayush, thanks for that once again to break it down. Uh, before we leave, my maybe my last question uh, would be a couple of points for future. As you mentioned, I think we touched upon the topic on India being the SaaS hub. Just some two, three last uh, thoughts for future SaaS leaders from India. What would be the main two, three things that they should look at? So it would be good to hear your final thoughts on this. I think uh, one thing that we very strongly believe in is that and it's a little counterintuitive, uh, but I think sometimes domain expertise does more harm than good in some situations, right? And yes. there needs to be a certain balance within the team. Of course, expertise has its own value. There are multiple True. ways to get that expertise. You can have advisors, you can have people you can trust, True. but uh, lack of domain expertise in a particular field, we very strongly feel should not intimidate uh, people willing to start up in that field because oftentimes the advantage you have if you're not an expert in the field is that you really have no option but to really build your understanding bottom-up, right. talk to customers and figure out what is bothering them. Some of the best companies have been created by people who are outsiders to that field. Uh, right. I think that that's something that we very strongly believe uh, is because oftentimes, uh, you know, even if the founder has really faced the problem, it's very easy to get biased by their understanding of the solution. Their, their attachment to the problem should be limited to the problem itself and not to the solution. So that's that's one thing that I would uh, I would uh, strongly uh, suggest people to think about. And the second thing really is that again, right? So I, I earlier in the conversation I mentioned the certain amount of shamelessness and audacity that Indian SaaS founders have, and we 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 felt very inspired by that when we started out. Uh, I mean, they don't care a lot, right? It's it's easy. they start selling from day one, uh, even if they don't have the product absolutely right. Uh, with the basic hygiene elements in place, they start selling. They never stop selling. And that's a, that's an instinct that I think is very important. Uh, all of us collectively should find a way to uh, develop that instinct more, to institutionalize that within our own uh, companies, to find a way to talk about it more, uh, talk about it at a, at, a, at very early stages. I mean, when, when people are in college, right? Because that is an instinct that I think sets us apart. We don't wait for perfection. We keep True. selling no matter what, right? I think that that is something that uh, is a disproportionate advantage that uh, Indian SaaS founders have and we should continue doing that. Awesome. Marj, I think you mentioned two important points. One was not having that domain expertise. I think that's your story, right? I think you also went through that, that you understood this problem in your previous startup, figured out, okay, what could be the solution? And you kind of built your understanding from grounds up where you didn't have much uh, understanding before. That was an actually interesting point. It's good to have a mix of folks in your founding team. I think you've got a good mix in your team. Second, I think, as you mentioned, same shamelessness, right? I think that quality per se, typically, you know, nothing offends, nothing offends you. If somebody comes back and saying, Hey, the, the product sucks, or I think it needs a lot of improvement. We are okay with it. We're like, okay, we'll go back. We'll work with our team, go up. I mean, build it from scratch and come back to you. So I've seen that. I've also worked in a couple of startups. I've seen that attitude. And I think Ayush, that's good that you uh, highlighted that. Uh, Ayush, on that note, uh, great to have you. I think I've been following up for the past one month. Good to have you finally. Thanks for taking our time on a Sunday to be part of uh, What's Next with V. Ayush, thanks a lot. 
Pleasure, Vishal. Thanks a lot.